Welcome to the JACCP podcast. My name is Rob Domenico, and I'm an associate professor at the University of Illinois uh, Chicago College of Pharmacy. My colleague Amy Heck Sheehan out of Purdue University College of Pharmacy and I served as uh, one of the guest editors for a themed issue on postgraduate training in clinical pharmacy in the February 2023 issue of the Journal of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy. The response to our call for papers was remarkable. We, we received about 40 submissions and were able to publish 14 outstanding papers. The themed issue includes a collection of papers covering important topics such as residency expansion, current state of fellowship training, incorporating health equity and social determinants of health into our postgraduate training programs, job market perceptions of residency graduates and other contemporary issues. I'm excited to highlight one of the submissions titled Promoting Health Equity in Pharmacy Postgraduate Training Programs, a Call to Action for Clinical Pharmacists. The authors of this paper are Yodit Teklu, Kathy Monungai, Jacinda Abdul-Muta-Kabir, and Rena Gosser. Thank you, Drs. Teklu, Monungai, Abdul-Muta-Kabir, and Gosser for joining us today on the podcast. So health equity and uh, related issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion have certainly moved to the forefront in recent years. Um, so with that as a backdrop, what was the stimulus for your contribution to the themed issue on postgraduate training addressing health equity? Great question. And on behalf of all of us, thanks for having us. As we all know, pharmacy is a very small world. So I think that brought all of us uh, on this team together, both through our related passion for health equity and related topics, but also some of our prior experiences. So I think it made for a really good team. Speaking on behalf of Kathy and myself, at the time of writing this paper, we were completing postgraduate training. I, as a PGY2 resident, and Kathy was doing fellowship. So it felt very timely, very pertinent, and we were able to really hone in our experiences more recently from pharmacy school, but also on that postgraduate training tracks that we decided to pursue. And as you mentioned, this is a topic, this and related topics have received a lot more attention recently. But when we came together to really think about how we wanted to tackle it, our priority, and I think what a lot of us look for in these topics is concrete recommendations, right? We know that it's important, but what do we do with that information? So really, that was the stimulus for the work that we created. Great. Thank you for your response. Certainly a, a timely subject in the profession. And it sounds like for both of you, uh, having just finished your, your training, what approach did you and your co-authors utilize when preparing the manuscript? In other words, you know, how did you go about gathering evidence to support your recommendations for incorporating health equity principles into uh, postgraduate training programs? Thanks for that question. As we've mentioned, you know, we've seen an increase in, in the focus on health equity, especially in our health professions. And we knew that the literature by extension had increased over the past few years. So we wanted to really understand if this literature focused specifically on postgraduate training and health equity, as we had decided that this would be our focus and our area of exploration um, when we were scoping the manuscript. Um, as expected, we saw a limited number of articles from the pharmacy profession related to those best practices, evidence-based recommendations, and we did see some examples from our physician colleagues across a variety of different specialties. So when we were looking at all of that, we really wanted to use the articles that had those best practices while also supplementing with our practice experiences as each of us as authors came together around this uh, with a slightly different lens 
as Dr. Teklu mentioned, her and Kathy were within their postgraduate training sessions or, or experiences. Jacinda or Dr. Jam has had some pretty extensive health equity expertise that we really leveraged. And then myself as a clinical manager who precepts residents across multiple residency programs and seeing sort of how there's a little bit of a struggle when it comes to social determinants of health, population health principles, health equity topics, really taking all of that into account to collate recommendations on how we foresee health equity principles could best be addressed um, in training programs. Great. Thank you for your uh, response. You know, one of the things that I noted, you know, certainly in the early part of the manuscript is that it, it really highlights the RX heart framework. Would you say that your recommendations are an extension of the RX heart framework? And if so, in what way? Thank you for that question, Rob. And I will say that when we when it came time to really just think about how health equity fit into the postgraduate training programs, as Dr. Gosser, Arena, and I were mentoring Drs. Teklu and Manangai. We were really thinking, where is it? Where is the starting point? Where is it that health equity, you know, is really introduced or needs to be introduced? With me being good friends with Drs. Uh, Lakeisha Butler and then the Beauty Aria, personal friends, and us having these conversations, I remember tracking just like the release of this manuscript and being so so blown away at how they did really an awful job at describing systemic racism and justice and equity and really kind of being um, pioneers and really showing how it is that we should go about measuring how it is that we're teaching health equity um, in the pharmacy curriculum, really holding us accountable as educators and as clinicians to really start in that conversation early in the doctoral program, but also making sure that we make a sustainable change. So I think that the biggest thing just for me, um, also being a newer educator, is how do I make sure that I really provide education just kind of outside of the traditional in the classroom didactic learning? So I think a postgraduate training is just kind of like that extension or that more experiential uh, focus type of experience. And I really thought about how do we continue this conversation with the residents and the fellows? Because essentially, this is us building this next generation of pharmacists. And we want, and we just see just the utility that pharmacists have, especially in this health equity space, pharmacists being so accessible and, and in so many different settings, the traditional community setting, the ambulatory care setting, inpatient, like having just these different areas where we can really, really, really um, evoke and provoke change. So I think that was really just the idea of how it is that we could expand upon the framework. I think it's definitely an extension, but more so, I really want to look at it as a reiteration of those just very important topics that are brought up there and just thinking about how can we further this more experiential process past the traditional four-year or if, it is, if it's an accelerated program, shout out to our accelerated programs because I finished, I graduated from one or, you know, that three-year or six-year experience that the students have. How do we make sure that learners never forget these really important topics? Thank you. I, I really like your, your response regarding leveraging the diversity of practice setting for pharmacists and, and among the other, you know, attributes and, and characteristics. But I think that that's something that we really capitalize on. Your manuscript highlights five actionable recommendations that could rather easily be adopted by postgraduate training programs. 
Your first recommendation calls for an assessment of health equity competencies at the start of postgraduate training programs. Do you advocate for the use of a standardized tool such as the IAT that you call out in the manuscript um, or a less prescriptive assessment for programs? Thank you for the question, Rob. I think it's it's a balance of the two, I would say. When you make a prescriptive or you have a prescriptive tool for something such as this, you sometimes put these programs into a box. And I really like Dr. Jam's call out of all the different fields that we as pharmacists can go into, because I think if we were to make this uh the method a lot more prescriptive, it would actually be a disservice to a lot of the trainees going through this health equity training because, you know, I'll speak to my experience. My residency training prior to fellowship was a community-based residency. And I feel like if we were to have the same practice and apply it to, for example, a two-year pharmacoinformatics residency, that wouldn't really make sense. Um, but to take it back to the question in terms of the implicit association test, I think that's a really good place to start. That's where the prescriptive nature comes in. But from that point, it's only the start, the starting point. A needs assessment is necessary to know what someone does or doesn't know. From there, you can really tailor it to the trainee. And then it really depends on the exposure that the trainee gets to a lot of different health equity topics, right? So even for that same example, going to the pharmacoinformatics resident, the project that they could be working on could be to combat health equity, but they might not be working with a patient. It could be a larger overarching project. But if it is a community-based resident, they're more so in a clinic, they're working to working and incorporating social determinants of health within their care. So you have to start somewhere. That's where the prescriptive nature comes from. But moving on from that point, it really has to be based on the resident's interests. And then also the place where they work. It really depends on the field of pharmacy that they're in. Great. Thank you. I think it probably breeds some innovation as well, right? As opposed to just checking off a box and, and doing you know a single tool or whatever. So that's a, a very helpful. Your second recommendation calls for funding and resources to engage trainees in health equity training. Do you foresee regional residency conferences as an opportunity to offer or maybe even mandate such programming on a larger scale? Absolutely. So I think we think of this really as one of many ways that we can kind of implement it and really piggybacking off what Kathy said. A lot of us do want, you know, uh, some step-by-step or how do we actually go about doing this? And it's a little bit of both, like she mentioned. Um, But I think our article really tried to keep in mind that residency, fellowship, postgraduate training in general varies so much, right? Even if it's standardized by an organization, each institution is going to look really different. Each region is going to look really different. So for that reason, we really tried to make sure our recommendations made sense in the context of internally, if you have the resources and the capability to really expand health equity and opportunities for your, your learners, that's great, right? We would definitely encourage that. But that might not be the reality for a lot of programs as well. So as a result, we want to make sure that people know how to utilize either their local community and making sure that there are partnerships in place if it was warranted or or necessary. Um, But beyond that too, just regionally, I think that's a very low hanging fruit intervention, especially because a lot of the time for residency, at least, right, there are these mandated conferences that residents will attend. So I think it's certainly one great place to start, but we want to make sure that programs think about this through their, their lens as well, what makes sense internally, externally, or a combination of both. 
Your third recommendation highlights the need for developing and integrating didactic health equity material. Do you foresee residency programs developing local or even regional certificate-like programs uh, to educate trainees on health equity similar to what we see with teaching certificate programs or even to a lesser extent, some research certificate programs? That's a, a really great question. And I think having a certificate program is an option. It's a start. Many residency and fellowship program directors are leading programs in addition to full-time jobs, so it may present quite a heavy lift for them to develop this type of training on their own unless, you know, there were resources specifically allocated to allow for this work, uh, which is probably a whole other topic that could take up another podcast. But what we do hope is that there is some really dedicated engagement from our national pharmacy organizations states boards of pharmacy and you know the local institutions to develop some of this training at no cost and i think that's the really critical piece there we've already seen some shift towards development of this education you know some of the orgs have some free training some webinars that have been put on by practicing pharmacists as well as certificate programs but our hope is that the rpds can really leverage these trainings as a baseline and then use some of those core principles to map out within their residency or fellowship programs to ensure that trainees have the experiences throughout the year focused on, you know, caring for patients with chronic diseases within marginalized communities, um, navigating systemic barriers to care, addressing social determinants of health, all of these things. And then also, in addition to that, just quality improvement projects really tackling these issues in practice and really applying what what they've learned through these certificate programs or webinars or what have you. We also think that didactic piece needs to be hardwired in multiple places. I think that the licensure process is one of those opportunities, um, specifically requiring it to be licensed as a professional. Here in Washington State, there's a rule that's being finalized to require health equity, continuing education, for all health professionals uh, prior to initial licensure and then periodically, so every three to four years, with specific criteria that must be met that would allow for that, you know, once you start your program, that assessment of where you're at so that those things could be tailored to the learning of, of the trainee, specifically free training. So it should be free, not at cost, not causing, you know, $500 to, to earn a certificate that doesn't really tell us whether you can competently provide equitable care in practice. So really thinking beyond didactic, that's definitely a start, but really ensuring there's that application component. Currently with clinical training, we learn in the classroom in pharmacy school, we apply our learnings in the clinical space. And so it's, it's our belief that the same attention and energy and effort that we do for clinical training should really happen for health equity training specifically so that these principles are applied to every patient every time in that training environment so that when the trainee is done and they're caring for patients beyond this postgraduate period, that they can competently provide for patients in the most equitable manner possible and have the confidence to do so. You know, I think if it's cost prohibitive, it kind of reinforces some of the inequities, right? So um, and, in, and in a way, your response leads to the fourth recommendation, which I personally love, and that is identifying experiential opportunities for postgraduate trainees uh, in this space. Uh, do you think ASHP should mandate that residency programs include an element of community-engaged work as a part of a uh, training? 
I will say, I think we're a little biased and I think all of us, I don't know if I can speak for all of us, but I think I can when I say we do or we would advocate for that mandate. Um, I could definitely see some pushback on something like this. Some programs might see it as a barrier, um, but even at the same time with a lot of programs that are based in the community, I still think that you know the time constraints and all the work that you're doing, it is hard sometimes to find, find that extra time to have community work that is outside of your clinical requirements. I remember during residency, that was something that I made clear to my RPD that I wanted to have some more community engagement work. And it was just something that hadn't been incorporated. And you might find that odd being that it's a community-based program, but I understand there are so many time constraints, but at the same time, no one knows a program better than the program leadership, right? I think it is very manageable for program leadership across the board, across the different types of specialties to find ways to immerse their residents into community work. Wherever you are, it doesn't matter where in the country, where in the world you are, there is a community that could use the assistance of a healthcare professional, whether it be patient education, whether it be, of course, from the pharmacist standpoint, looking at people's medications and teaching them about anything that they can. I definitely think it's doable. Just the initial lift might seem heavy to some specialties rather than others, but it's definitely doable. I definitely could see it being beneficial because also at the end of the day, community engagement work makes us all better practitioners, no matter what specialty we're in, because it shows us that there's always a patient at the end of everything that we do. Yeah, I, I think that's a great response. And it also hopefully elevates the vision of pharmacy from others' eyes, right, outside of our profession. So I think that's a, a great response. Your last recommendation calls for intentional efforts to evaluate strategies used to incorporate health equity into postgraduate training. Who do you think should lead these efforts? Should we be developing more health equity fellowships similar to the manuscript by Miller at all in this issue? Or should this be a more coordinated and collaborative effort across various programs? Thank you for that question, Rob. I think it's a really good one. I think that they're not mutually exclusive. I think that definitely, you know, with ASHP really being that governing body for residencies and then ACCP being a, the, a bigger governing body for fellowships, I myself completed an ACCP accredited fellowship. I think that it really it's really a distributed responsibility. So do I think that ASHP and ACCP should should set forth just generalized standards for the inclusion of these principles, I absolutely feel that way. I feel like at the end of the day, when we have a checkpoint for things that need to be completed, when folks are going through and designing their programs, AHP and ACCP are who they answer to. When residents and fellows are maybe disproportionately dismissed, uh, and if we do see a racial and ethnicity difference in that, the people that those trainees could go and talk to would be the leadership at, at ASHB and ACCP. It's harder to bring up these issues. It's harder to bring up anything that may happen. It's harder to bring up a lack of inclusivity and that and then that contributing to a lack of potential success. It's hard to hold folks accountable when you don't have measures set into place that really like lock them in to, to having to be held accountable for these things. So I do think that we really need to have our professional organizations lead in this way. And um, what I will say is that I've really loved how ACCP has worked and really tried to think out of the box in terms of including um, diverse individuals as a part of their DEI committee, making the task force a standing committee, 
collaborating with different minoritized student organizations to ensure that you know equity is at the forefront. Do I think that we should continue to create fellowships? Absolutely. One program that I think served as a fantastic model for really creating sustainable health equity fellowships is Purdue. I think Purdue does a phenomenal job. I think their Checky program is amazing. I love with uh, with with Dr. Sonek um, has done there his the entire group, Dr. Gonzalez. Um, Dr. Lola Alatunde, like just the amazing work that goes on over there. They really show that this is something that can be done. They show sustainable approaches over in Kenya that they lead there. They've shown bridges between how they bring the work that they've been doing overseas. Like, you know, it's things that you wouldn't even think pharmacists could do. They're able to do. They're able to show just the utility and importance there. That should serve as a framework. I myself, you know, lead um, health equity um, initiatives and place students at the forefront of that. I'm not the sole person that does that. Dr. Gossett does that with her programs. So it's just, it's so many individual examples as well. So not only do we need to hold, you know, our, our pharmacy organizations accountable, yes, they should be doing this. Absolutely, I think that. But I think we ourselves can also identify our roles to ensuring that health equity is a part of how it is that we train the folks that we're in charge of. So I think that we have to also identify our own placement to making health equity a priority as well. You know, your your response kind of leads to my final question, uh, which may be a little charged, but I'll ask it anyway. So in the manuscript, you allude to ASHP's DEI task force, yet, you know, that task force didn't put a whole lot of teeth into recommendations uh, related to health equity and in their inclusion in residency training. So the question to you all is, One, are you surprised by that fact? And two, how do we align our stakeholders? And your prior response, I think, kind of gets at this, but how do we align our stakeholders and accrediting bodies to provide health equity content across the continuum of pharmacy training? So I'll just go ahead and I'll pick this up and then I'll leave it open, of course, for uh, for anyone else to add input. We have to make this a priority. I think that's really really where we are. And we we can't be afraid to be, to bring up the injustices that exist. I think that sometimes it becomes a bit harder, you know, at the end of the day, these are major organizations, so it can become a bit political to really voice the concerns and really make these sustainable changes. And um, equity work, and this is always a conversation that I have, it's uncomfortable. You know, we have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. The way that you know you're making sustainable change, and I'm going to take, you know, this here from my hero Beyonce is the way that you know that you are making sustainable change is that when folks are uncomfortable, that's how you know that. So I think that we have to become comfortable with that. I think that uh, we have to prioritize this. I think that we have to be be comfortable with listening to the concerns from those folks that um, are representative of these training programs. We have to be able to take what folks are saying that they need. Um, for health equity, we have to become comfortable with allocating resources for this. We have to we have to know that this isn't going to be easy. That making you know change that's going to be lasting won't be easy. I think that in terms of align, aligning the stakeholders, I think that opportunities like you know we had with your issue of JACCP, Rob, is is a big thing. We have to continue to make space and make room for these conversations. 
calling out the disparities that we see. Recently, the, the match statistics were released and we saw a disproportionate rate in those individuals that obtained residencies. We, but this was one of the first times that we have ever, we've ever had race and ethnicity data in the time that the match has existed. So we have to continue to collect that information. We have to continue to expose these disparities so that we can align what are our, what are our action points to narrow these. In, in summary, I would say we have to make equity a priority. We have to make diversity and inclusion a priority in our profession. I completely agree with everything Dr. Jam said. I think that another thing I would point out with ASHP and all these other accrediting bodies, I think these recommendations or the recommendations that the task force that they've been putting out, I think it's the first step. Another thing to note about a lot of these organizations, the leadership, when you think about the diversity of the leadership, that is only now beginning to change. I think specifically with ASHP and their new president, um, whose name is eluding me right now, but I think it's- Dr. Paul Walker. Thank you, Jim. So Dr. Paul Walker, um, who I've read a little bit about, but I was really excited to see in a place of leadership like ASHP, I'm hoping, and not to say that this should all fall onto him, but- before you can really make any change with these organizations, you have to see change within the organization itself. So to be quite honest, I wasn't too surprised that the task force and the recommendations that they made didn't really have, um, to quote you, what you said, Rob, have a lot of teeth in them yet, or they couldn't really take a bite out of this big problem. But it's a start. It's a start. And I think by all of us discussing this and like Dr. Jam said, being uncomfortable and making sure that this does not leave the conversation, then we'll see change. But more than anything, something that we've been repeating, you need to give people actionable steps to make that change. And I think what we did is a really great start. I completely agree with what, what's been said too. And something that we talked about in our paper, but not necessarily yet on the podcast is that making sure these things that we're doing, right, we have the recommendations, but as far as implementation goes, really trying to be systematic and documenting what that might look like place to place, right? We already know that there's not a lot that's been done in the pharmacy space, but I think it'll be interesting to see if and what does come in the future. And beyond that, this can be uncomfortable, right? So when places might be trying to do this, they might not always get it right the first, the second, even the third time. So I think providing that that outlet to be able to provide anonymous feedback, I think is going to be really important because a lot of the times, you know, it might not be done right. Or if it is, that's another great way to say, hey, that was a really effective intervention that worked for so-and-so place. Um, so I think really just making sure we're being thoughtful in the approach, but also making sure we're taking the time to actively reflect on what's being done and whether or not it was as effective as we hoped or if, or if a place would need to pivot. I'm going to also agree with my wonderful co-authors on this. The, the task force was really set out to provide some recommendations. Yes, I think the language should have been stronger. And, you know, over these past few years, we've seen many organizations have task force committees with recommendations that, you know, are currently sitting. Not much has really moved. The needle hasn't moved on some of these things. But we do know that organizations in general have collaborated together many times on multiple different things and have really moved things forward, specifically around advocacy efforts towards, you know, pharmacist provider status, things like that. So we know that it is possible. And I think it goes back to Jam's comment that it is uncomfortable. So it could be something that, you know, we just need to get over that hump and really just push things forward. And again, it's not going to be right the first time, but listening to membership and the needs of the pharmacy profession, what are gonna be the things that really move us forward 
in a, a deliberate and actionable way is, is really critical right now. And now is the time when the work and the resources are being put towards this. So we really need to, to focus our efforts there and speak out as members and encourage our organizations and hold them to that standard. Thanks to the four of you for not only your provocative contribution to the JACCP themed issue on postgraduate education and training, uh, but also uh, thanks for spending some time with me to share your insight on this paper uh, on today's JACCP podcast. So thanks again. Thank, Thank you. you so much.